What's up guys, Ian Sandusky from Lakewood Machine and Tool back here again for the Let's Machine podcast. A little housekeeping before we get started. As I've mentioned at the end of the previous episodes, I'd like to open up my email inbox for suggestions, questions, or things you would like me to touch on. Um, you can reach me at Let's Machine, just like the show title, at gmail.com, Let's Machine at gmail.com. Feel free to send me anything you'd like to talk about specific issues you're having at your shop or you know anything you'd like to bounce off me um, some of you guys have sent, have sent some really great feedback uh, through that so please continue if you have any comments criticism concerns I'd love to hear it um, you know it's the easiest way to get a hold of me directly because I don't always check all my social media stuff as often as I should a uh, little news from around the shop here at Lakewood machine and tool it has been a very hectic week um, not so much for what's going on on the floor but any of you guys who have been into my shop before or have seen the shop tour will know that this shop has been around for a long time. Um, we've been in this unit since I believe 1990. And we have the mezzanine upstairs. Uh, and we have three units here. The mezzanine is upstairs in the first unit, the largest unit. And the mezzanine is where our offices are. And it has not been updated since probably 1990. Um, the flooring was a very lovely shade of mottled pink marble. I think they call it wax tile. And the walls had that kind of pinky purple beige to it. And the doors were a darker shade of that purpley beige. Uh, it was awful. Um, it was one of those things that, you know, if you think of a old crappy office, that's, that's what it was. So in the spirit of trying to update things and make things look a little nicer, you know, we, uh, we've been making uh, a bit better profit than we have in the previous years. We decided to reinvest some of that, you know, try to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable here, try to make ourselves present a little bit more professionally. So we got all the walls repainted. We got all the doors and all the trim repainted. We ripped all the baseboard trim and got that redone um ripped up we got sorry i'm not gonna say we did it we got the floors all ripped up and redone with a very nice gray modeled uh vinyl plank that kind of looks like wood i have the same stuff in my house and if my dog's nails haven't torn it up yet i don't think that uh our boots are going to do bad things to it so it's very exciting it's been hectic trying to move everything around in an office you know up here we have part storage we have tooling storage um, we have the engineering office, we have uh, the receptionist Amanda's office, we have my office, we have the production manager Skyler's office. So a lot of desks, a lot of filing cabinets, and you know we were very lucky that the guys we got to do this really went above and beyond. And um, you know we thought we were going to have to do a lot more of the moving and stuff ourselves. They came in the first day, did three quarters to seven eighths of the office in one night, and then finished the next night along with doing all the stair treads. So really really glad to have it done uh it looks awesome it's so much brighter in here the walls are a nice kind of light gray now the doors are darker gray um it just looks a lot more updated and it feels a lot more professional in here you know it doesn't feel like we're still living in the 80s so that is nice that said today on the let's machine podcast i would like to talk about something we have talked about before um i've done I think I've only, I've maybe done two videos on this. I'm not too sure yet. You know, so for those who don't know, when I got into YouTube, I started with my own channel, which had the same title as this podcast, which was Let's Machine. 
And then I ended up starting to work with Practical Machinist, who I still work with today. And I do the machine shop talk series for them. So I ended up doing a bunch of videos on my own channel, uh, you know, a little lower production value, a little more off the cuff. Um, and I ended up doing some of those same topics again for the Practical Machinist channel. Now that, you know, I'd had a little more time to think about them, I matured a bit, had some more thoughts on the matters. So this is something that I have talked about before. Once, definitely, maybe twice, but it's going to be about why you must be protective of your time. This is geared toward guys who own or operate shops, but I think it's some pretty across the board advice that is gonna help you no matter where you are in your career. But particularly when you get to the point where you seem to have fewer hours in the day than you have things to do. Um, you know, when you have a list that's got 10 items and they each take an hour and somehow you need to cram that into eight hours. First off, guys, I'm going to level with you. Um, I've had these videos and the things I've said in them literally thrown in my face by angry commenters before. Um, I've had people chime in and say that this is bad business, that this is rude, that, uh, you know, if they operated the way I operate, they wouldn't be in business anymore. And you know what? I can't say I disagree with that statement on the surface. Um, all I'm going to do is share what has worked for me. And if it works for you too, that's awesome. And I hope it helps. But of course, make your own judgments as to what you take as advice for from other people, myself included. You know, I'm a guy who's been involved with a small shop for the last 12 years. So there are definitely other opinions out there. Um, you know, there are guys like Titan or John Saunders or whoever who run much bigger shops and have a lot more experience. So, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. If it helps, it helps. If not, you know, you can discount it as advice not to take. And that's just fine. So to put it bluntly, I'll just say it. In this line of work, if you're not protective of your time, you will find yourself very quickly overwhelmed. Um, you know, having conversations you don't want to have taking meetings that you're not interested in and generally burning a lot of time that could be better spent actually building your business. First off, let's talk about the number one drain on your time that you're going to deal with each and every single day as a shop owner or manager, and that is salespeople. I think the biggest issue I see in people who answer the phone at their business is the drive to not be rude or at least not be seen as rude. Um, we've all dealt with it. You know, the cold caller who calls us up, and acts like they're our best friend. And all the while, you're just looking at the clock and wondering how long it's gonna take them to get to the point. You know, is this a potential customer calling? Is this a business opportunity? Sometimes you can't tell. And then all of a sudden, oh no, wait, there it is. This guy's just trying to sell us something. As a guy who has worked in sales and done cold calling before, you know, if you've heard my episode on sales, you know that I have been on the other side of this equation. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Anyone who does cold calling either has very thick skin or is well on their way to developing it. Otherwise, they would not be employed in a job that does cold calling. Here's the other thing. The person who's doing cold calling usually works on a commission basis. Otherwise, they really wouldn't have any incentive to make calls and try to get deals to close. We all have the base drive in ourselves to not be rude or at least not be seen as rude. We don't want people to think we're rude. I think that's the kind of what I'm trying to say. We try to be polite for the most part and we'll sit there for, you know, five, 10 minutes to let the salesperson get through their script. And guys, it's a script. Any good sales pitch you're gonna hear on the phone is designed to keep you listening. 
investing time into the call in order to activate you know your guilt centers they've just spent the last 10 minutes explaining themselves and now you have to say no to this poor person that's what they're counting on that's that's how the psychology of these things work think of the calls you get too. very rarely do you actually expect to get your credit card number or PO issued over the phone you know they're not expecting that in the manufacturing space you're probably gonna get companies wanting to set up a meeting you know is it okay when I'm in the area next week to stop in for a 30 minute meeting on Tuesday or you know these days with all the pandemic and all that fun is it okay if we set up a 20 minute zoom meeting with one of our reps so you can see the presentation it, it's all designed to get you to invest as much time as possible into these people so that you'll feel more compelled to buy something from them while we do have an office manager here at Lakewood you know I, I don't want to call her a receptionist really because she does a lot more than that but one of her main functions is you know answering the phone and fielding calls that said I do actually field a lot of calls myself and do you know what my typical time is on the phone with these people when they call it's 20 seconds or less 20 seconds or less that's all the time I will give to a cold caller this is something I learned from my father and you know for those who don't know my father was the guy who started this company and I worked under him and with him for a very long time um, he doesn't really work here anymore he retired more or less a couple years ago but this is something I learned from him and I'll be honest guys I used to think it was incredibly rude when I saw him do it when I first saw it the person would have 20 seconds on the phone to identify who they were why they were calling and that's all it took for Peter to make a ruling on whether he was interested or not while I don't personally do this I do have specific memories of Peter actually outright telling the salespeople you have 30 seconds to make your pitch and then I'm hanging up personally like I said I don't do this I don't really enjoy this little game he did <laughs> it was his method but uh, I do use the same kind of method I don't wait for the person to get into their pitch that's kind of what it comes down to so if someone calls and says hi I'm from XYZ phone company and I'm looking to talk with the person in charge of your phone plans I'll just flat out say yeah that's me I'm happy where I'm at thank you very much have a great day and click hang up if I get a call then it's obviously from a call center you know where it has that little lag and it takes a second for someone to come on the line and you can hear other people talking in the background I usually just hang up without saying anything you know you know what guys like I spend a lot less of my day on the phone hearing sales pitches I'm not interested in I actually get less cold calls now than I ever did before is it rude you know I guess but here's the thing you don't owe these people anything especially not your time and I'm going to branch out of it further or I guess specify it you don't owe anybody who's after your money anything especially not your time they're not paying your bills you know this is not someone who is entitled to your time you don't owe someone who is barging into your day the courtesy of your time you didn't ask for it they should feel bad for doing it you don't need to be rude you don't need to yell at the people or call them names or whatever but you have zero obligation to field cold calls beyond what you feel like you know it's whatever you feel like 
in the six years or so that I've kind of had this policy that I've kind of been in this role, do you know how many customers I've accidentally hung up on? Zero to my knowledge. I've never accidentally hung up on a customer. The closest thing I've ever had was maybe two times where the person who has called me and I've you know hung up maybe a little abruptly, they've called me back and said, hey, you actually requested this call. You know, maybe it was a company I was actually interested in. And I've just apologized and said, hey, listen, my fault. I'm sorry for that. You know, we get a lot of call volume and uh, that was my mistake. Um, and you know what? There's been no hard feelings I could tell. At the end of the day, those people still also wanted to sell me something. So they can have some thick skin as well. The risk slash reward when it comes to investing your time in cold calls when you're receiving them is so infinitely small on the reward side that to me personally, it's not even worth dealing with. May I have missed out on some hot utility deal that could bundle everything together and save me thousands of dollars over the years? Maybe, but I just don't find the reality of that happening to be so great that it's worth constantly interrupting my day to find out. The benefit to my 22nd rule is that it cuts down on the amount of time I spend interrupting the tasks that actually matter to my business. While a five minute phone call may only be a five minute phone call, Think about what you're interrupting while that call is coming in. You know, it's common knowledge that it takes time to mentally shift gears into and out of a task. So if I'm working on say a quote and I'm thinking about the machining plan for something and I get a call that interrupts me, if I spend 10 minutes on the call, it's probably gonna take me another five to get my brain back to what I was doing. And if I'm lucky, I can pick up where I left off. Otherwise I may mentally need to start all over. So that 10 minute call, just now wait 20 minutes of productivity and now extrapolate that over a day where you might get five calls like that. All of a sudden your 10 hour workday just lost an hour and a half dealing with things that you're not even interested in and are doing absolutely nothing to contribute towards your day. You know, I'm not, this is not some big thing to say phone calls are evil. Guys, if I get a call that interrupts my day from a customer, completely different. That's building towards my business. That's someone, you know, if they're paying me to do a service, Part of the service they're paying for is to talk to me on the phone if they have questions. That's fine. I will take that, you know, I don't see that as a loss to get back into what I was doing because I'm still doing something that is contributing towards my business, not just dealing with something I don't wanna deal with. The same kind of goes for emails in my books. I'm the kind of guy who has my email open all day, every day, and I check emails as they come in. I mean, it's kind of one of the things I pride Lakewood on, and that's being available and responsive to people when they need us to be. And I've read a lot of productivity books and business books who would look at this like an unforgivable sin. You know, you should be batching your email and only checking at certain points during the day. You know, you check your email at 10, 12, and three. But for whatever reason, that just does not seem to work for me. Um, you know, I get anxiety thinking I'm missing something. Um, I like to be on top of things so I can be responsive. It just, the batching thing does not work for me. I used to get a lot of sales emails from mailing lists. You know, the mailing lists about machines available for sale or tooling specials. You know, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So a lot of people add me to their sales lists about things that may not even be relevant to me. You know, I can't tell you how many times I get uh, people sending me sales emails for fluid control dynamic stuff and you know, just stuff that has nothing to do with my business. As these would get past my usual spam filters, it would pull me out of my tasks to check these, you know, see there nothing I was interested in re replying to, 
and then I'd have to delete them and go back to what I was doing in order to make sure I was staying on top of the email that mattered, but it would still pull me out of my task. A few years ago, I made the simple choice of actually unsubscribing from these lists instead of just deleting the email. And this sounds stupid and obvious, but by making that my default action, instead of spending the time to check and delete a dozen of these emails a day, I now maybe only get one a day as a result of doing this. It took only the littlest bit more work to actually get myself off the lists, but between doing that and tightening up my spam filters, I now get off task far less during the day while still being able to be responsive when I need to be. Again, guys, this sounds like I hate email or I think that people emailing me is bad. And you're going to say, Ian, you did a video or a, a podcast a few weeks ago about how email is one of the best ways to target people when you're doing sales. And it is 100% it is. The thing is, guys, you can exist in two frames of mind at once. I can exist as someone who is trying to optimize my sales strategy and I can optimize and I can exist as someone who is trying to optimize my time spent on task. I still think email is a fantastic way to reach people who may be interested in your business. This is where, you know, I'm complaining that people are not being targeted in their emails. They're seeing, oh, Ian, machining. Well, he probably deals with something with hydraulics, I guess. Sure, let's add him to the list. You know, it's it's people not being tight on their targeting with email, so all it ends up being is spam. Um, one thing, if you listen to that episode that I'll, that I talked about, was being very targeted when you're doing these sales emails. So hopefully, although you know some people are going to be annoyed by the fact you email, you know, you're gonna get someone like me who says I don't do anything like what you're doing. Hopefully, you're hitting less of those people and interrupting their days less. If you've listened to my previous episode on sales, um, you'll know that I touched on the drop-in old school style of doing sales. You'll know that I actually did this at one point. I grabbed my fancy little brochures, I hit the pavement, and I went out door to door trying to drum up sales. And if you listen to that episode, you'll also know that I had absolutely zero success with that method. Um, I didn't even really get to talk to anybody beyond a receptionist who also didn't really want to talk to me. Here's the thing, guys. That kind of phenomenon that I experienced there exists for a reason. I couldn't get past the door because anybody who has been in business for any length of time and has managed to be successful realizes that you can burn hours with drop-in salespeople if you're not careful. You know, we all like to think that we're different no slagging on the salespeople who listen here. You know, I, I don't hate salespeople. Let's put it that way. But the fact remains that if there are too many salespeople, I, sorry, there are too many salespeople out there who are either ignorant of the value of your time or who seek to take up as much of your time as possible in order to get you to take their information and try out their tooling. You know, it's, we all say, oh, we're different. I respect people's time. That's nice. You probably do. The fact is there are a lot of people out there who do not. I can say dealing with these kind of salesmen has been one of the most difficult things I've had to overcome when it comes to being protective of my time. You know, it's very easy to hang up the phone on someone who you're not interested in speaking with. You know, you get comfortable with it pretty quickly. It's, it's, you get used to it. It's not hard, but it's something else entirely telling people to leave your shop, <laughs> even in the most polite terms. 
you know, salespeople are still people. They're usually polite. 99% of the time, they're just trying to do their jobs. They're not evil or some kind of parasite or something. You know, I still do sales. They have a job to do. And the job they're doing is to get you to buy what they're selling. And that's fine. But you also have a job to do. And that is to run your business, make your parts, and give attention to the things that will actually make your business successful. You know, I've had CNC tooling manufacturers, you know, the Hercos and the Mazaks and whoever else of the world, send their reps into my shop every month in some cases. And not necessarily Herco or Mazak. That's just examples, guys. I'm not slagging anybody. But I've had some CNC tooling manufacturers, like the machine manufacturers, send their reps into my shop every month at one period of time. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm sure not aiming to buy a new machine tool every month. The idea, I guess, is just to keep their name fresh in your mind so you're, they're the first person that you think of when you go to buy uh, a new machine tool. But it, it just felt so excessive. And, you know, it wasn't come in, drop off information and leave. They'd want to come in and have a conversation, uh, you know, and be friendly and that's nice. But think of an hour a month over a year. You literally just burned a work day with one rep over a year to accomplish nothing. I've had tooling reps, you know, the ones who sell end mills and carbide come in and take up an hour of my time when I've let them, two hours of my time when I let them, telling me about tooling that isn't relevant to my shop or, you know, things that I'm just not interested in pursuing. But at the time, I was too polite to say no. So instead, they'd eat my time, leave their literature, and then eat more of my time calling to follow up because I didn't have the ability to set the boundary and say that I wasn't interested without feeling like I was being rude or like I was being a bad person. You need to remember, much like people on the floor, or on the phone, sorry, much like people on the phone, these people are trying to do a job and they wanna focus their efforts on potential customers who are actually interested in buying. By being more upfront that you're not interested in certain things, you're actually doing them a favor by allowing them to go to places and spend their time with people who will actually buy what they're selling. You don't need to be rude about it. These days, if a machine tool builder rep comes in and I'm not interested, I'll just tell them that I'm not currently taking meetings, but if they'd like to leave a brochure and their contact info, I'm happy to follow up, you know, if I'm interested. And you know what? No one's gotten offended. They're usually happy to be able to focus on the people who actually may be buying. You know, they're not gonna think I'm a bad person for saying, I'm not looking to put a five axis mill on my floor right now that you're selling. They're gonna say, okay, and they're gonna leave. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. What sucks more? Spending time trying to tell a company all about your capabilities and wasting hours going back and forth just to find out they're not interested or being told right off the bat that it's just not a good fit. You know, my standard practice now is to be polite and happy to see salesmen, but I just don't dedicate a lot of my time to spending talking to them. You know, it's, it's not rude. It's just, I have work to do. You have work to do. Thank you very much. See you later. I do get a lot of emails, calls, and messages from salesmen right now asking to set up a meeting or a phone call. Like I said, these days I just typically say I'm not taking meetings at this time, but if they'd like to send along information, you know, if we're talking about people who are getting in touch over the phone or email, instead of leaving your information, send me your information. I'll take a look. And again, I will be in touch if I'm interested. Well, I can call and follow up. No, do you know what? It's all good. I'll let you know if I'm interested. Thank you very much. This kind of helps take the heat off people incessantly following up, I find, because 
there's nothing worse than taking literature from someone, you know, about this new tooling. And then they feel you're interested and they need to call constantly to ask if you've had a chance to take a look. Just let them know. I will get in contact if I am interested. To shift away from salesmen, because I feel like I've been rattling on and on and on about salesmen. Um, again, guys, I don't hate salesmen. You guys who are salesmen out there, I know a lot of fantastic salesmen and guys who work in tooling sales who really respect people's time, um, who get in touch when they actually have something that they know you'll be interested in. Um, you know, the guys who take the time to actually do research on your business online, you know, without having to take up your time so they can understand the kind of stuff you do so they can actually make recommendations. Um, I love salesmen like this. I have a couple guys that I use almost exclusively for that reason because they respect my time. They don't drop in three times a week just to say hello. Um, they come in when they need to. They come in and, you know, they, they do what they need to do and they get out and they let my guys do their work. They don't, you know, wander the floor wanting to talk to guys for hours um, like some guys do. It's, uh, there's definitely a way to do sales and guys who are good at it are very good at it. But that whole segment is dealing with a very large segment of the sales community out there who are not skilled at what they do and will eat your time if you let it. But that said, to shift away from that, the other side of things where you should also be very protective of your time is with customers and potential customers. I know this is kind of where the risk reward definitely has some higher stakes than dealing with people trying to sell you something. Um, I've said before that I definitely think there is such thing as a bad customer. I've done videos on that as well. Um, you know, I've done videos on the 80-20 rule, you know, where 80% of your time uh, will be spent on 20% of your customers, 80% of your revenue will come from 20% of your customers, and those 20% in both cases are probably not the same 20%. But I think it's worth repeating here. Um, some customers are gonna be huge time sinks no matter which way you cut it. For example, I had a customer that was more of a fabricator. And while they didn't do any machining in-house, they did need a lot of machine components for the things they were assembling. The problem was that they were the kind of shop where drawings were a iterative process, let's call it that, to put it nicely. Essentially, they'd send over, you know, a sketch to get a quote. And by the time I got the quote over to them, then the quantities would change. And then I'd requote, and then the materials would change. And then they would revise the drawings. So between the time when I actually would send the first quote to actually making parts, there may have been three or four revisions of the quote, if not an entirely new quote, in that time span. The problem as I see it is that they were so focused on getting things going that they didn't really know what they wanted, what they needed. So it was just kind of a, ah, get, get Lakewood making parts. Ah, get them looking at this without actually taking the time to know what they were doing. Essentially, I would end up being a free engineer for them because I would revise their drawings. I would recommend changes. I would price out different builds and different variations until they finally got something that they settled on. And there's nothing inherently wrong with making modifications or doing drawings for customers. You know, that kind of goes into being a machining business. You do this kind of work for customers. The problem is that this customer didn't respect the time that went into that work. You know, I would have to take the time to draw up their sketches because I would get, you know, the back of the envelope drawing. I would have to draw it up in CAD. Then I would have to take the time to make changes while on the phone with the owner. Then I'd have to send new drawings out for approval. 
then I'd have to chase up three different material pricing so they can make a decision and on and on and on. By the time it was done, if I were including my time and our rate per hour when we did this kind of work, it was coming out way below shop rate, like way below shop rate. The problem really wasn't with my customer so much as it was a problem of my own creation. I didn't put enough emphasis on the time that I was taking when I talked to them. I just kind of hand waved away, hand waved away my time, you know, oh, it's okay, I can do it. Oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's fine. So the customer just ended up assuming that this is the way that work is done in this industry, you know? Essentially, I was being too kind and too patient and too generous with my time. Remember guys, this is a business, not a charity. I can be a nice guy all I want, but that does not pay the bills. Um, to put it bluntly, I know that sounds terrible and capitalistic of me, but I got to put food on the table and being overly generous with my time doesn't do that. I know a lot of really kind-hearted, nice guys who have gone bankrupt and that's just the way the world is. Here's the other thing um, in dealing with this customer. I, I did a lot of drawings for them for parts that would just magically not get ordered. So, you know, they send along a sketch for five different parts, I draw them up, send them back for approval, but then I'd only get an order for three. So, I mean, I'd never confirmed this, but there's a very good chance that they could be taking my new CAD drawings, getting those parts priced out somewhere else, and then ordering from me what I'm competitive on and getting someone else to do the work from my drawings on the parts they didn't order. That happens all the time, guys. You know, they were taking my time up, potentially, you know, I don't know if they did this, but I'm fairly certain they did. They would take my time to do the drawings and then make me compete against myself, all at my own cost, you know? <laughs> Eventually, I did start keeping track of these hours um, and letting them know when a job came in that, you know, there's gonna be an engineering charge at my shop rate or more to do these drawings. Um, you know, if you want revisions, that's fine, but that's going to be another engineering charge. You know, this is not free labor. They were not thrilled with it, but it was the way it was. It was a problem I created, so I had to be willing to be uncomfortable and have those uncomfortable conversations to take the steps to protect my time and make sure I was being fairly compensated. Long story short, we did end up doing work for them a few years after this. You know, they didn't drop off the face of the earth. Um, they did eventually stop ordering, but... I don't think this was the reason. At the end of the day, um, I think they just kind of went in a different direction. And also at the end of the day, my spindles today are busy all the time with higher value work than what I was doing for them. They're also apparently still in business. So, you know, no one ended up losing out. I think everybody ended up winning. To share one more story, I, uh, I had another customer also in a non-machining business. You know, they were manufacturing adjacent they were a factory that produced packaged food. And I won't get too specific, but they had a couple of machine lines that mass produced this packaged food. And they needed dies and ex like extrusion dies, essentially, and these big rollers to extrude the product. They needed these to be made, so they contacted us and you know they asked, hey, can you build these to service our machines? See, the thing was, they were, I don't want to call them a startup because they weren't, but they were a small company that was starting to grow and they had bought a couple of old used machines for their line. The problem was these machines were so old and so obscure that they couldn't find parts for them anywhere. 
you know this was not a machine that was still in operation you know being built somewhere they had to find aftermarket parts for these so essentially they came and asked us not only can you make parts for these but can you retrofit them to do things that they're not really intended to do but are capable of kind of so i mean this was the kind of customer where they don't give you a drawing you know they're not machinists they're not in the engineering space um, they just kind of expect you to come in take your measurements do some engineering do the drawings and then machine the parts and fit them up this kind of work isn't rare there's a lot of service work like this out there and if you're good at it it pays really really well because you are the expert in that scenario and in this case the customer was willing to pay once the work was done the problem was that they pretty plainly right off the bat did not respect my time they would call on a tuesday need me to come by you know by tuesday afternoon and this place was an hour round trip um you know just away from my shop they want me to come in they call tuesday at 9 a.m say hey can you be here by noon they want me to look at something and then they want parts by wednesday this is you know a thing um i've told you guys before that you know service work and rush work is a great way to make money and it is but also you know people have to be realistic um this wasn't a one-off thing where you know something would break and they need something fixed real quick this would just, was just kind of the way they did business the problem would be that there was usually at this point how do i put this the problem was that there was some shifting in management let's put it that way um the guy i dealt with ended up getting shifted to a different role and then a new maintenance engineer or maintenance manager, whatever they called him, got hired on. So the person I was dealing with was constantly changing and they all ended up getting spread really thin um, from what I could tell. You know, this was, like I said, not a startup, but a growing company. So all of a sudden, a lot of people there were wearing a lot of hats. You know, their production manager was also covering, um, trying to retrofit this one machine. Um, their maintenance manager was also in charge of I, I don't really know what his other role was. But anyways, everybody was spread super thin there. So the guy I dealt with by the time we started really doing work for them, he would tell me to come in at 9 a.m. the following day, come in, take a look at this machine. And then when I would show up at 9 a.m., he'd keep me waiting for half an hour or an hour before you know even coming to get me from the office. And then by the time he came to get me, he'd be confused as to why I was there. He forgot why I was even coming in. You know, these people just had so much on their plates that they couldn't even have a meeting on time. <laughs> and then when the meeting happened, they didn't know why I was there. Um, there's nothing quite so disheartening as taking time out of your day to go somewhere, then feel disrespected because they don't come get you from the office in a reasonable time frame. And then they say, so what did we want you to do? You know, it's, oh man, it's super disheartening. There are two kind of ways to solve this kind of issue. Um, you can either be upfront and get in writing that you're on the clock when you come to visit, whether you are dealing with them or they're keeping you waiting. So you bill them for your time, whether you're sitting in the waiting room or whether you're actually doing work. If you're gonna do this, you need to make sure you get paid upfront before you release the drawings. Because I can tell you that anyone who doesn't respect your time is also not gonna be thrilled at paying for their own negligence. <laughs> nobody likes having to answer for their mistakes it's just the way people are so if you are planning to uh, bill someone for their time when they keep you waiting you need to make sure you get that paid up front or else you are probably never gonna get paid for that time
The other option is you can add a, I call it a BS charge to their work. You don't need to spell it out as a line item, you know, and say the price for this part is X and then the expediting charge is Y. Typically, if I'm gonna deal with people who are gonna jerk me around like this in the short term, I just say, do you know what? When I'm quoting this workout, I just build in an extra 20% or I build in an extra 30% because I know by the time this is done, that 30% is gonna get eaten up by them not respecting my time. In reality though, guys, this is the perfect example of what I'll call a bad customer. They're the kind that's not really gonna be worth your time in the long run because it's really only a matter of time until they screw you in one way or another. So neither of these strategies, you know, either billing them for your time right off the bat or building a BS charge in there, neither one of these strategies are really advised so much as you should just be trying to find better customers. Um, you don't wanna deal with these people. Marking up their work is going to help you in the short term and burn you in the long term. Um, trying to get paid for time that they don't want to pay you for is not going to build a healthy relationship. You know, these kind of customers just are not worth it in the long run. The point to all this is that customers will take from you what you're willing to give for free. I mean, who wouldn't? If a guy comes in to fix your CNC machines and he doesn't charge you by the hour, are you going to feel bad asking him questions while he's there and taking up more of his time? No, I mean, you know, but that's also why millwrights charge by the hour. They also charge for mileage and they also charge for driving time. They know that their time is very in demand and it's worth a lot. So you pinch your nose, you pay the bill and you try to economize your time with them as much as possible. You know, you, you inherently respect their time because they're charging you a lot for it. You're not gonna sit there and have a half hour conversation with the guy who's there to fix your CNT machine if he's billing you $140 an hour for that time. You're gonna be polite, but you're also gonna say, all right, are we done? Thank you very much, appreciate it, goodbye. You need to be conscious of the time that you spend on jobs and realize that every minute that you're not billing someone is an investment of your money from elsewhere. I'm not saying that you should never spend time that you're not directly billing for on a customer. What I am saying, however, is that you should be cognizant of the fact that that time you're spending that you're not billing for, that's an investment. If you're investing time in a customer, you should be investing in one that you actually see genuinely paying off down the road. You know, like I said, we're all in business, we're not in charity. They're making money off you, so you should take a step back and make sure that the time you're putting into them is also going to make you money. You know, we all have nice aspirational feelings about the work we do guys, but at the end of the day, we're all trying to put food on the table. Um, your customer is doing that, they're making money, you just gotta make sure that you are being compensated fairly. Um, anyways guys, I hope this has been helpful. I hope I didn't get too, too off topic, but then again, in the description of this podcast, I do warn you that I do get off topic, so hopefully this has been helpful. Um, this week, I do want you guys to focus, if you're looking to take anything from this, I'd like you to focus on just being aware of how you're spending your time. Um, be aware of how much time you're spending doing things that you don't want to do. And then when you look at those things that you don't want to do, if it's something you don't want to do, but it's actively helping your business, that's a good investment. If it's something you don't want to do and it's not directly helping your business, that's a waste of time. And you need to look at ways to better economize that time and help be more protective of your time in general. As always guys, if you have any questions, suggestions, or feedback, 
please send me an email to letsmachine at gmail.com. And please be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast if you want more episodes. Lastly, if you're enjoying this content and you'd like to see more, please feel free to check out the Machine Shop Talk series on the Practical Machinist, Practical Machinist, Practical Machinist YouTube channel. And that is at www.youtube.com slash Practical Machinist. Thanks again for listening, guys. You take care.